So we're going to read Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all humanity. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me kings reign, and rules, rulers issue decrees that are just. By my princes govern, and nobles, all who rule on earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me, find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasurings, treasuries full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so that the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in the human race. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. 
Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves, and all who hate me love death. Amen. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you. Uh, Good evening, everyone. Good to have you here. I'm going to pray by using uh, the verse from James chapter 1, verse 5, that I began this series with six weeks ago. So let's pray as we come to this last one in our little series. James writes, If anyone lacks wisdom, they are to ask God who gives generously without finding fault. Lord, we've been learning over the last few weeks that in many ways we all lack wisdom. And so particularly tonight in understanding this passage again, we ask for your wisdom. And we pray that you would indeed be faithful to your promise and give your wisdom generously without finding fault. Please help us to understand Proverbs chapter 8. And more than understanding it, Lord, may it shape the week that we live ahead, that we might be wise people living life for your glory. Amen. Great. Well, we uh, we began this little series in the book of Proverbs um, six weeks ago. I hope you've been enjoying it and finding it helpful. Um, I've never taught through a kind of series in Proverbs before, so I found it a real challenge, um, but really enjoyed it. And I hope you have too. And what I want to try and do tonight is work through uh, Proverbs chapter 8 with us, but also try and tie together some loose ends and try and pull together some of the themes we've been considering together over the last six weeks. And so I want to begin just with a bit of a recap of where we've been and Some of the slides you've seen in previous weeks will come on the screen now, um, just to help us, particularly if you maybe have missed a week or two. Uh, We started uh, six weeks ago with the theme of wisdom being life-giving, and you can see there as we work through those different points, wisdom's outcome is life. Interesting that Proverbs 8 ends in a very similar way, doesn't it? So I hope you've seen that in this series there's there's a big link between life and the wisdom that God brings We also, the second week, we considered wisdom that accepts God's discipline. It was this idea that God in his wisdom knows better than us and often will challenge us, rebuke us. There's a sense of mystery sometimes, particularly with issues of suffering, uh, where we're sort of grappling with the wisdom of God. God, what are you doing here? But we were thinking about wisdom that accepts God's discipline, this idea of constantly looking up, lifting our eyes to the God who made us. And we finished that week thinking about, are we wise builders who build on a firm foundation of the wisdom of God? Um, the third week we considered wisdom that guards the heart. It was the, the essence, the idea of diligently seeking wisdom. Would we be prepared to give up everything to seek wisdom because wisdom is so precious? And we saw actually that it's our heart that is the kind of wellspring of our attitudes and our actions. And so if you and I are going to grow in wisdom, we need to grow hearts that are in line with God's heart. Uh, we considered laziness, didn't we? Not necessarily typical laziness, I'm struggling to get out of bed in the morning, but the idea of spiritual laziness. I asked us the question, well, where's our spiritual appetite? Um, how's our spiritual discipline? And we considered what it was to be wise is to be spiritually alert, not spiritually lazy. Uh, last week we talked about wisdom that flees from sin. If you remember, there was this, these two voices, the adulteress here, whispering, calling us to follow her not going God's way, and then there's God himself calling us to go his way, and there's this kind of battle, this tension, the choice we have to make. 
And then today we're in Proverbs chapter 8, and the title I've given it is Wisdom is Found in God. In many ways, no different to everything we've seen every other week, but trying to bring together some of the themes uh, we've looked at. So this is where we've been. Um, The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, Do not give up meeting together, um, but encourage each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, Sometimes we encourage each other by sitting down and putting an arm around another person who's struggling. One of the ways that we can encourage people is by helping other people see what we've been learning, speaking about the truths that have been shaping our life, that we've been reflecting on. Uh, I think sometimes we're not so good at those sort of conversations. So I just want to give us a moment now um, for anybody who wanted just to share a reflection from the book of Proverbs. Um, Something you've learned, something that's challenged you, um, something you've seen put into practice. It'd be lovely just to hear from two or three that we might kind of edify and build up each other uh, in things that we've reflected on that series. So they're the little prompts on the screen behind me. Um, but I'd love just to give us a moment if one or two just want to share a, a brief reflection. I've got a, a roving mic here. Perhaps Wellesley can run around with it, if you don't mind. If no one speaks, you'll have to hear my reflection, so it's up to you. <laughs> Wellesley, warm us up. Come on, tell, share some, something that, that is, um, you, you've been thinking about through this series. I'll pick on Neil in a minute, and then hopefully we'll get warmed up. Well, I think when... Um, it, in the, the opening session when we had the flip chart out at the beginning, we, we fired out areas of life where we really need God's wisdom. The area that sprung straight to mind was parenting. I think some things in life, it's quite clear what's right and what's wrong, and we don't always do what's right. But I think with parenting, I think in the six weeks that have passed, the number of moments when I'm just not sure what the right thing to do is. You know, when, when should you be gracious? When should you discipline? How do you get those balances right? And so I think for me it's, um, you know, wisdom flees from sin, but sometimes I don't know what it looks like to to be a good parent. And so just for me, I think the challenge is to continue to pray that the Lord would help me, not in those planned moments, but the instinctive moments when something happens and God would give me the, the words to say in that moment to do what's right and to help to help our children. So I think that's probably what's been on my mind most of the time. Yeah, thank you. No, just to share a little encouragement and then we'll see if anyone else wants to speak up. Yeah, I guess one of the themes that flows through all of these is the, the heart. Um, you know, we can behave well, we can put on a good front, um, but actually the heart is the wellspring of life. And I think unless we're, we're guarding the heart um, deep down, um, then we're going to dishonor God, we're going to let God down. And so I think... Um, for me, that is the, that is crucial to everything, really. What, what is the state of our heart? How are we looking after our, our heart in, in all ways? Um, thank you. Any reflections from anyone else? Um, I, I uh, finished work at the end of July. Some of you know that. I'm sort of having a bit of a break deciding where I'm going next. So the, the talk that was about the ant and the sluggard <laughs> was particularly, I found that quite interesting. <laughs> I don't think I was too much of a sluggard, but there's a temptation when you have a lot of time and you're thinking about stuff that you can, that um, Mr. Lazy picture was like, just beware of that. Um, and I think you, you spoke about um, appetite and discipline, spiritual appetite, spiritual discipline. And so I've kind of stepped up a bit of discipline from being Mr. Lazy. Um, just in how I've been reading the Bible. Um, and, uh, yeah, Jackie's always been a really good example for me. She's very structured and I'm always a bit more free form. So I found your, the way you unpacked it that week really helpful for me. And, um, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely encouraging. Time for one more, perhaps. 
just very quickly, it, it was interesting for me how it also was fitting in with what the children were learning in the morning. So as I was preparing some of the things for impact, I was looking at what Jeremiah and Ezekiel were saying to the uh, people of, of Judah and the fact that uh, they weren't wise. They turned from God. They didn't reject laziness. They didn't flee from sin. They didn't guard their hearts. And that was all about a heart of stone and yet God promising that he would give them a heart of flesh. And there was the promise from God that even though he needed to discipline them and they had to accept going off to uh, Babylon for 70 years or so as Jeremiah said and Ezekiel was even told by God you know I want you to talk to them about this but they're not going to listen just like Lady Wisdom would be shouting from the uh, from the street if you like you know listen to my wisdom here and yet you felt the people going by there's all of that going on we're not listening to god and yet god is patient with us Mm. and yet god is actually still through our lack of faith and our lack of wisdom still actually staying there and loving us and seeking to transform our hearts if only we do actually get it and just respond and turn to him so it was just the patience of god i think came up as much as uh the lack of wisdom that we have yeah that's that's very helpful isn't it it's not just this isn't just about us it's about god and his character absolutely thank you well we're going to continue to think about this together do come back to proverbs 8 just want us to consider the call of wisdom i'll read again from chapter 8 verse 1 does not wisdom call out does not understanding raise her voice we've seen that a number of times haven't we wisdom is beckoning us she she he is calling out to us and then verse 4 To you, O people, I call out, I raise my voice to all mankind. But here's a question for you. Wisdom is calling out, but I think particularly of last week, wisdom flees from sin. Who else is calling out? It's all very well wisdom calling out. Who else is calling out? The adulteress, that that was the one example, but ultimately folly is calling out. In last week's passage, it was the adulteress. But the point is, it's not just that wisdom calls out and we have to hear their voice, her voice. It's also that the world is calling out. Have you noticed that? And so I reflected last week, the devil never, ever promises death. The devil promises life. The world is promising life. The devil promises life. And so does the God of heaven. But there's life only found in one place. So... Wisdom is able to discern where is true life found? Is it found in listening to God or is it found in listening to the world? That's what one of the dilemmas of wisdom is. It's not just knowledge. I have to work it out because both are vying for my attention. Listen to me. No, listen to me. No, me. Do you have a sense that in your heart? It's like wrestling. So wisdom's call. Just, just acknowledge that there's the call of God and there's the call of the world. Notice too in, in chapter 8, wisdom's truth. What I love about Proverbs, and I, I hope I've brought this across in the series, is there's a sort of an emotional appeal. This isn't some academic lecture where the lecturer is teaching the students. This is a loving father or a loving mother instructing a child that they love. Uh, you'll know if you're a parent, the best um, environment for discipline is that loving, trusting relationship. You don't rebuke if you're a wise parent in a sort of way like a a teacher would a naughty pupil. You rebuke in a way that a loving parent does. Firm, discipline, yes, but you have to love the person. And I hope you've seen that there's an emotional appeal. This man, this woman speaking to their son or daughter, crying out for their heart that they would hear wisdom's truth. The idea that wisdom is relational, it's lived. It's not a static thing. So come again to chapter 8. 
verse 5. You who are simple, remember that's a, a reference to the unwise person. Gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Not, not on foolishness, but on wisdom. Verse 6. Listen, for I have a trustworthy thing to say to you. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Here's another problem. Verse 6. To the discerning, all of them, all, all of the ways of God are right. To the discerning, all the ways of God are right. But to the non-discerning, what's the problem? Think of the two voices. Do you see it? To the discerning, God's way is right. But to the foolish, God's wisdom is foolishness, isn't it? You see this in the book of 1 Corinthians. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the gift of God. So again, you've got this voice, this competition. And so we need to recognize as we consider wisdom that to be a follower of Jesus is about swimming against the flow. It's not a wholesale rejection of culture. Of course it's not. We believe in what's called the common grace of God. There's lots and lots of good things in our world that we celebrate, that we join in on, that we take part in. But we also have to recognize that often if we're going to go God's way, we're listening to his voice and his voice is calling out and it's in complete opposition to the voice of the world. We're going to be fishes swimming in the wrong direction according to the world. But have a look again at verse 6. Here's a question for you. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions tonight just so you can reflect. Why, according to verse 6, does wisdom want us to listen? What do we read? I have things to say. Wisdom is saying, I've got something to hit for you to hear. Like the lady at the lamppost at the Tame Food Festival. I've got something to say to you. Are you going to listen? Wisdom has something to say. The God of heaven has something to say. Not a distant God, but a God who's involved in his creation. He's got something to say to you. He's got something to say to me. God is a God who speaks, and which is why his word is so vital. You cannot separate the word of God from God himself. And so how you respond to the word of God, as the spirit of God teaches you, is a litmus test really for how you respond to God himself. I cannot love God but hate his word or be disobedient to his word. God is a God who speaks, and so as I seek to be obedient to what he says, it's a reflection of my heart in obedience to him. So here's a few little questions for you to think about. This is a, a litmus test, I guess, for your attitude towards the word of God, uh, reflecting your attitude towards God himself. Do you read and reflect on the word of God every day? I don't sh- share that as a question to rebuke us in an unhelpful way, but just to ask the question, rather like the challenge, do you pray? Do you read? Do we read the word of God? And not just read it so that I have my little quiet time, I've read it and I've closed my Bible and off I go, but do I read and reflect the illustration we've repeated now, this is the third week, what I read in the morning or whenever I have that time still with God, is that changing and shaping how I live my life during the day? If I don't read the word of God, if I don't reflect on the word of God, that says a lot about my relationship with God. It'd be like a married couple who never talk. If you're not communicating in a marriage, it tells you a lot about the state of your marriage. Same with God. If we're not communicating to him in prayer and he communicates to us through his word, it tells us a lot about our walk with him. Second little question to consider. Uh, how do I respond when the word of God challenges me? What's our first reaction? When you read something that's hard, is our first reaction 
to reject it wholesale? Well, that doesn't make any sense, to me at least, so it must be wrong. Do we reject it because perhaps we think it's not relevant to us? Well, I can't even begin to get my head around how that could speak into my life now, so it just must be an outdated word. Do I respond with a sense of kind of pointing a finger at another person or blaming God? Or do I come to the word of God with a humility, saying sometimes if I struggle to understand the word of God, maybe the problem lies with me, not with him. Uh, Anyone who's preached a sermon will know that you have to wrestle with the scriptures all through the week that you prepare. And you always read things that are difficult. It may appear that things are clearer by the time you come to preach and you pray by God's grace they might be. But you've wrestled with the passage for hours through the week in prayer and reading, trying to discern what God is saying. And often you have to say, God, I have no idea what this is about. Sometimes when you have a passage read and at the end you go, what is all that about? That's exactly how you feel as a preacher when you've read it. Four, five, six times you have to wrestle. But our attitude towards the word of God is a litmus test for our heart towards him too. And then a third little question. Just to ask yourself the question, is the word of God changing me? Is it changing me? Because I'm hearing the voices in this world, I'm hearing God's voice, but is God's voice the one that's winning in my life right now as they compete? It's just worth asking the question regularly, and if not, to pray for God's help. Let me just read to you um, some words from Psalm 1. Psalm 1 paints a picture. It's the first psalm, the kind of gateway into the psalms. paints a picture of a man or a woman who is strong spiritually. And the picture that's painted is that of an oak tree. Do you want to be an oak tree? Strong. This is what the psalmist says. Blessed is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But their delight is on the law of the Lord. That's just talking of the word of God. And on his law, on his word, they meditate day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, do prospers. I want to be an oak tree spiritually. I want you to be an oak tree spiritually. And so we have to be people who are reflecting on the word of God and drinking deeply of his wisdom because without that we're going to really struggle. Wisdom's call, competing voices, who are we going to hear? Wisdom's truth, the problem is the world doesn't think that the word of God is truth. And finally, wisdom's worth. Have a look at verse 10. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can desire can compare with her. It's interesting, isn't it? Gold, silver, rubies. In a sense, there's nothing more precious than them. Wealth. But the writer here, the father, says there's something more precious than having money, having wealth. It's wisdom. You can't put a price on wisdom. You can't buy wisdom. But again, to the foolish, God's wisdom is worthless, isn't it? Which is why we have to constantly be reminding each other and ourselves of the worth of wisdom. Because if I don't believe and really trust in the worth of wisdom, why would I want to listen to the voice of God? Because I'll find wisdom somewhere else. I'll trust my own wisdom. But humility would say, no, trust my wisdom, God says. Listen to my voice. I think in my experience that the struggle with this is that, as it were, the, the world is beating a drum, isn't it? And we walk our life often to the beat of the world's drum. But the challenge for the Christian is to hear that there's another drum beat. It's not the world's drum beat. It's the drum beat of the God who made us. And I think the challenge for us as a Christian is to walk to the beat of a different drummer. Hearing the drum beat of the God who created us. 
In a sense, it's this idea of keeping in step with the Spirit of God. How is God leading us? What's he saying to us? How is he speaking truth into our life? And that's hard, isn't it? Different voices, different drum beats. The world saying that God's word and wisdom is not true. It's not worth listening to. And yet, God's drum beat, there it is again. But can we hear it? And I find in my life so often, my own busyness and my own pride stops me hearing his drumbeat because I'm just marching to my own drumbeat or the drumbeat of those around me just wanting to please people all the time but actually God is saying no listen to my voice you don't need to do all those things today I want you to do what I'm calling you to do but as we consider wisdom's worth the writer goes on to tell us that the reason that wisdom's worth is so worthy is because of the joy that God's way brings just have a look at how wisdom is described. I'm going to let you read these verses from 12 to 21, and particularly focusing on the words in bold yellow. Just give you a moment to read that. See, it's worth being wise, isn't it, because of the joy it brings. If you look at the words in yellow, who would not want to grow in knowledge and discretion? Is anyone here who doesn't want to grow in knowledge and discretion? Is anyone here who doesn't want to hate what is evil? Is anyone here who says, actually, I I want to be proud, I want to be arrogant, that's a good thing? Surely not. Of course not. We don't want evil behavior. We don't want to speak perversely. We want insight. We want to learn to love. We want to learn to honor that which God honors. We want to know the way of righteousness. This is a picture that the writer is painting of how valuable wisdom is and the joy that wisdom brings. And so the reason the writer gives these is to sort of say, surely this is what you want. If you want an idea of just how precious wisdom is, is it worth it? There's your picture. It's a picture of something very attractive, isn't it? But interestingly, you can't talk about wisdom in the Bible without talking about Jesus Christ, because we've learned already a few times in our series. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That's where true wisdom is found. And so a question really that we ought to be asking ourselves, I'm going to ask us all this now, is... As you consider Jesus Christ, who we're told is wisdom from God, how attractive is Jesus Christ to you right now? How attractive is he? It's easy to talk about Jesus. It's easy to sort of worship Jesus. But how attractive is he to you? If you have a Bible, I wonder if you could just turn up Philippians chapter 4, please. In Philippians chapter 4... In the context, Paul is speaking to two people, two women in the church who are disagreeing over something, but he's trying to encourage them to focus on the main thing, to focus on the gospel that unites them. And then in Philippians 4, verse 4, it's this call to rejoice in the Lord. Focus in on the Lord and the joy that he brings. And then we learn about the peace of God that transcends and guards our heart. And this is the bit that often we then miss, but is so crucial. Paul writes and says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There are tons of things in life that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, and we should give thanks for all of them. But let me ask you that question again I asked you a moment ago. Right now in your life, how attractive is the Lord Jesus Christ to you? Because as Paul wrote these words, I'm sure, as in the context of Philippians, where his heart is so sold out for Christ, and he's in prison when he writes this letter, 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, well, here's the question. What is more true than Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life? You won't find anything more true than Christ. What is more noble than Christ, who left heaven to come to earth, to die on a cross as we reflected this morning, that we might know God? What is more right than everything that Christ has ever done and ever will do? What is more pure than Jesus Christ, whose motives were only and are only ever perfect in every way? I want to be pure. I've got to treasure Christ then, because he's the most pure. What's more lovely than Christ? Who can offer you what he can offer you? As we consider death, really hard subject to grapple with. Who can offer you what Christ can offer you in death? Nobody. That's why Christ is so lovely. Finally, what's more admirable than the king who descended to earth and became a servant for all and hung on a cross? As Paul writes and calls us to think about these things, ultimately he's saying, think about Christ. That's what the book of Philippians is all about. I don't just want to talk about Jesus. I want us to have a moment, just in the business of our lives, to behold him. I want us to watch, please, a short video. It's a song that we often sing in church, Behold Our God. Just to give us a moment of stillness, just to sit and behold him. If it helps you to look at the cross as, as the song's playing, please do. Otherwise, perhaps just reflect on the words. But let me ask you one last time. Right now in your life, how precious is Jesus Christ to you? Sometimes we can be so busy serving God that we're not very good at beholding him, are we? Just stopping and remembering who he is. And just as we bring this little series to a close, just have a look at how chapter 8 ends because we're given a reason to behold God, to make much of Christ because we've learned much about wisdom in chapters 1 to 8, but now wisdom speaks and not just speaks but identifies themselves. Here's the voice of Jesus. What does he say? Verse 27, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so that the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. And friends, it's because of the really enduring nature of the word of God and particularly of the wisdom of God that the Father now speaks for the very last time in chapter 8. In light of everything we've said and particularly in light of beholding God in all his wisdom in Christ, the Father speaks again, verse 32, Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me. Watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. Listen, listen, listen. I think if there's one thing you could take away from the book of Proverbs, perhaps it's just that one word. Will you be a person this week who listens to the voice of the God who loves us? And why does this matter so much? Why is this not just some theoretical theology? Why is wisdom so important? 
The chapter ends, verse 35, for those who find me, here we have it again, find life. In contrast to verse 36, those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Friends, why is wisdom, God's wisdom, so, so crucial for us? It's because it's a matter of life and death at the end of the day. And so I want to ask you this question as we finish. I want you to ask yourself, am I wise? And here are my three reflections from the Lil series. If you want to be someone who grows in wisdom, if I want to grow in wisdom, I need to first of all show humility. Because humility recognizes my dependence upon God and my need of repentance daily. We cannot be wise if we insist on being proud. Secondly, spiritual hunger. If I haven't got a spiritual hunger to know God and be full of his spirit each day, I can't be wise. And thirdly, just to recognize this battle that's going on, these different voices that are competing, the different drumbeats, but whose drumbeat am I going to be listening to? So there's a question for you to reflect on, am I wise? And the very final question on which I'll end, do you want to be wise? Because I'm sure we'll all acknowledge I'm not as wise as I want to be. Perhaps I'm wiser today than I was yesterday, but Lord, I want to be wiser tomorrow. And so if we want to grow in wisdom, friends, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who we're told has become wisdom for us. I pray that we'll all grow in wisdom as we continue to reflect on all that Christ has done for us.